Let's pray together as we get ready to look into God's Word together. Father, we, we are so grateful for this amazing privilege we have to gather in your presence and worship, to lift our voices together without fear. And uh, Lord, we might not always have this privilege, but while we do, we want to thank you for it. We want to thank you for those who have given much that we could be free. And uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are not free today, uh, who suffer all kinds of hardship because they have chosen to believe your good news. They have chosen to put their hope in Jesus. And we pray for them. We pray that those who are imprisoned will sense your presence, your comforting presence. We pray that those who are suffering uh, will know that you are good. And no suffering of theirs goes unnoticed by you, and you will reward every act of obedience from faith. Lord, uh, strengthen them. Help us, Lord, uh, use the freedom you've given us to do good. We pray that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, prepare to dive into God's Word together, I just want to start with a question to get you thinking about what we're going to be talking about. Um, And I think this is a great question for people who are gathered sitting in a church building. You're here because, you, you know, this is a good thing to do. And the question I want to ask is, how good do you have to be? How good do you have to be for God? And I ask that question because uh, repeatedly surveys show that, uh, well, a lot of people, and even a number of those who gather in church buildings like this, don't know the, the biblical answer to that question. And a lot of people think things like, as long as they're not as bad as they could be, they're probably good enough. And they think, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm certainly not as bad as some people. Like Hitler. I'm not as bad as Hitler. And so, I'm probably okay as far as God is concerned, because Obviously, he wouldn't put me in the same category as mass murderers. So I think I'm probably okay. You know, and the idea is that God somehow grades on a curve. And the curve has been greatly lowered by some pretty bad people. So that means that as long as we're not guilty of murder or rape or child abuse or some other terrible crime, we're probably okay with God. God should give us a pass. Now, if you've ever thought that or anything like it, if you think that now, I'm really glad you're here today. I really am. And I feel I should warn you to brace yourself because I believe Jesus is about to get in your face. We are looking, we are working our way through his teaching that we usually call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Somebody humorously suggested we should entitle it Jesus Getting in Our Faces, uh, because when it comes to this topic, this topic of being good enough for God, Jesus definitely gets in our faces. And he confronts 
our wishful thinking. Jesus does not want you to believe a falsehood that could wind up destroying you. He does not want you to believe something that's false. And this idea that God somehow grades on a curve and that somehow if we don't commit some major crime, we're probably okay as far as he's concerned, that idea is false. It is false. So I want to urge all of us to pay very careful attention to what Jesus says. Okay, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. If you have a Bible, grab it. Turn to that. If you don't have a Bible, help yourself to the one that's in front of you. Now, we looked at the same passage last time. And last time we, we focused on verses 17 through 19. Today we're going to zero in on verse 20, but we'll start reading back at verse 17. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me read that last verse one more time. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that verse bother anybody? Because it really should. I'm certain it really bothered the people who first heard it. The Jewish people who would have been listening to Jesus would have been absolutely shocked by that statement. Because they could not have conceived of anyone more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. These guys were the good guys. These were the guys who knew their Bibles. These were the guys who were, they were so careful to try to keep every single command and rule and regulation in the law that God had given them through Moses. These guys were meticulous. I mean, nobody tried harder to be good. And yet, here's Jesus saying, they're not good enough. And I'm sure the people just looked at each other and said, what? What did he say? Are you kidding me? If the scribes and the Pharisees aren't righteous enough to enter God's kingdom, who in the world is? You really have to feel the force of this. This would be like somebody saying to you, unless your intelligence exceeds that of Albert Einstein, you can't be right with God. Unless your income is greater than that of Bill Gates, you're never getting into heaven. Unless your athletic ability is greater than that of Michael Jordan, 
you have no hope. That sounds completely impossible. What is Jesus doing? He's getting in our faces for our good. He's telling us, okay, he's telling us that what we naturally think, the thinking that comes naturally to us about being right with God, about being good enough for God, the natural thinking we have on this is wrong. It's just wrong. And he's obviously wanting to get our attention, and he wants us to take this very seriously, which, if we're honest, is difficult for us. You know, maybe that many of us are thinking, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm into Jesus, so, you know, I don't really, this, the, he's not talking to me here. Or maybe we're thinking, frankly, that there are other things that I'm just more concerned about than God's kingdom and whether I'm a part of it. Probably wouldn't want to admit that in church, but could very well be we're thinking you know hey, you know i got a job that i'm struggling with i got to find a new job having a good job to me that's more important than than being part of god's kingdom or um being in good health is more important to me than god's kingdom or finding a, a spouse getting married having a family there are a lot of things that might feel more important to us than god's kingdom So I don't know how important it is to you today. I don't know how important it is to you today to know whether or not you're included in God's kingdom, whether or not he approves of you and he accepts you, whether he really is working all things together for your eternal good, whether that when you die, because you will, To know that when you die, he will welcome you into his presence. I don't know how much that matters to you today. But I can promise you this. Based on what Jesus says, here and elsewhere, this really is the most important issue you ever face. And one day, when you leave this life, and face what comes next, this is going to matter to you more than anything else ever did. So I think we should consider what Jesus is saying here as if this really is important. That whether or not you're a member of God's kingdom really is a big deal. So why don't we just take some time and think this through carefully. Imagine you're sitting there listening to Jesus. You just heard him say this. What is he telling you? Well, he's telling you what you need to be included in God's kingdom. What do you need to be included in God's kingdom? And the answer is, you need righteousness. That's what he says. That is the issue as far as Jesus is concerned. Whether or not you enter the kingdom depends on you having righteousness. Jesus says, unless your righteousness, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you 
will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Your righteousness, not somebody else's, not your mom's, not your dad's, not your spouse's, not your youth leader, anybody else's, your personal righteousness. Your righteousness. Something I've, I've uh, found kind of interesting as a pastor now for uh, a long time. <laughs> when, I, when I meet people and uh, they're not yet a believer in Jesus, they're not yet a follower of Christ, and, and they find out I'm a pastor, okay, it's always a little awkward. Because they're like, I didn't think I'd ever run into one of you guys. Um, <laughs> It's interesting. When I meet people, they find out I'm a pastor, they almost always do the same thing. Every one of them. They almost always proceed to tell me about a relative they have who's religious. It, it, every time. And I, I'm sure it's just a matter of trying to find common ground because they figure, oh, well, he's a religious guy. He must be interested in religious people. So... <laughs> So they'll say, oh, you're a pastor. No kidding. You know, I have an aunt in Nebraska who goes to church all the time. Yeah, weird old Aunt Margaret. And it seems like everybody's got a weird old Aunt Margaret. All right, listen. When it comes to you, Belonging to God's kingdom, it's not about Aunt Margaret. It's not about anybody else. It's about you. And it's not about being religious either. It's about being righteous. So well, what's the difference? Well, religion, religious can mean a lot of things. Religious could just mean, you know, you're really devoted to your religion, whatever that is, or you're really scrupulous about keeping all the rituals and attending all the services and all of that. Religious can mean a lot of things. Righteous means one thing very specific. To be righteous means to be right in God's eyes, as far as God is concerned. To be righteous means you meet God's standards for what's right, what's good, and what's true. And what is so shocking here is that Jesus says you can be very religious and still not be righteous. Not meet God's standards. You can be as religious as the scribes and the Pharisees, and, and nobody here is, I'll tell you that. You can be religious as the scribes and the Pharisees and still not be righteous. You could still not meet God's standard. Now, we're going to talk in just a minute about what God's standard is. But for now, the point is you have to meet that standard to get into God's kingdom, to be included in God's people. You, you've got to meet the standard. You've got to have that righteousness. And, and, you know, righteousness is not highly valued in our world. I don't know if you've seen that. 
But uh, the world, you know, doesn't think righteousness is all that important. In fact, it makes fun of righteousness. It mocks righteousness. It, uh, it despises it. It thinks of righteousness as a very oppressive thing. Righteousness keeps people from having a good time. Well, unlike the world, which makes fun of righteousness, God values righteousness so highly that he requires it of every single person in his kingdom. You have it, you're in. You don't have it, you're out. No exceptions. You need righteousness. Okay, well, that's not the whole answer, though. It's not just that you need righteousness. You need the right kind of righteousness. You need the right kind of righteousness. Now, the question we've got to answer here, because of what Jesus says, is, well, what was wrong with the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? He says, you've got to have more or better righteousness than they have. What was wrong with their righteousness? Two things. Two things. First problem, their righteousness was only external. It was an external righteousness, but true righteousness is also internal, okay? True righteousness, and just think about this, true righteousness involves our motives, our thoughts, our affections, as well as her actions. And Jesus is about to make this very clear, okay? As we proceed to go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to start talking about God's commandments. And, and he, you know, he said he came to fulfill them, okay? Because how those commandments were being kept was not in keeping with what God really intended. And he talks about murder and adultery. And he says, look, righteousness is not simply not committing the outward act. Okay, so just being able to say, oh, I've never killed anybody, or I've never actually cheated on my spouse, that doesn't make you righteous. Jesus is going to say that God's standard goes way deeper than that, and it forbids internal sins like hate and lust. True righteousness is a matter of the heart, Jesus says. Then there's another problem. Not just that it was only external, but their righteousness, their kind of righteousness, was based on personal achievement. Based on personal achievement. These men thought that they could, if they tried hard enough, win God's approval by their own achievement, by their own performance, by meticulously obeying God's rules. Okay, now everybody listen carefully. Everybody listen carefully. The problem is not obeying God's rules. Okay, I really don't want anybody going out of here today talking to somebody else saying, you know what Pastor Scott said today? He said we don't really have to worry about obeying God's rules. I didn't say that. In fact, I'd like you all to repeat after me, right? Here we go. (laughs) Say this. Pastor Scott did not say say that we don't have to obey God. God. Thank you. You are without excuse. (laughs) 
We should obey God's rules. That wasn't the problem. The problem was thinking that they could win God's approval by keeping the rules. Thinking we can win God's approval by keeping the rules, and that can't happen. Because God's standard is higher than we can meet by our own efforts. God's standard is heart righteousness, and that is exactly what we cannot achieve by our own efforts to be good enough. And I don't think I have to prove this to you. You know your own heart, right? Can you really tell me that every thought, every motive, every desire you ever have always measures up to God's perfect standards of goodness? No, you can't tell me that because it isn't true. It isn't true for me. It isn't true for anybody. So any notion of righteousness that is based on human achievement is doomed to fail. It can't succeed. And here's what's so bad about it. Here's what's so bad about it. Whether you realize it or not, and I'm sure many people do not realize this. I'm sure the scribes and the Pharisees didn't realize this. Pursuing that kind of righteousness, pursuing an achievement-based righteousness, always dishonors God. Always. You know why? Because pursuing an achievement-based righteousness means trusting in ourselves and what we can do for God. Instead of trusting in God and what God can do for us. And it dishonors him to do that. And Jesus, he's saying what he's saying because he wants us to just renounce this deadly delusion. He's saying we need a completely different kind of righteousness. We need a true righteousness that involves our hearts and our actions and cannot be achieved by our own performance. He wants us to hear what he's saying and think to ourselves, is he serious? Is he serious? If, if what he's saying is true, if the true standard of righteousness is so high that even the most moral, the most religious people on the planet cannot achieve it, then there's only one possible way I can enter the kingdom of heaven. By the grace of God. Exactly. Exactly. And now we're in a position to answer the question fully. What do you need to enter God's kingdom? You need the righteousness that only Jesus can give you. Why do I say that? Jesus doesn't exactly come right out and say it here in so many words. Okay, but this is important. We have to remember how he started the sermon just five minutes ago. Now, we looked at what he said five minutes ago like 
several months ago when we started working through the Beatitudes. But when Jesus actually spoke this sermon, by the time he gets to verse 20, which we're looking at now, he had just said this other thing just just a little bit ago, just a couple of minutes ago. Now here in verse 20, here's what he's saying. He's saying, if your righteousness is not better than the external achievement-based righteousness of the most religious, the most rule-keeping people you've ever met, if your righteousness is not better than that, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, but just a few minutes ago, he talked about people who did get into the kingdom of heaven. And here's what he said. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So somebody's in. The poor in spirit are in. They've got the kingdom of heaven. So their righteousness must be greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. They've got God's approval. Well, how did that happen? How did they get God's approval? How did they meet that standard? By being poor in spirit. It's the only thing Jesus says. Well, what does that mean? (laughs) It means admitting that spiritually speaking you are bankrupt it means admitting you've got no way of earning God's approval and so you give up trying to earn God's approval you don't have any righteousness of your own that's good enough And you admit it. You realize it. That's the kind of person who gets into the kingdom of heaven. Okay. How does that make any sense at all? How can admitting that I'm not righteous enough make me righteous enough? How can saying I'm not good enough make me good enough? Jesus said I need a righteousness greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I've come to realize I don't have it and I can't possibly achieve it. So how can, I, how can I get into the kingdom? How can I possibly obtain the righteousness I need? There's only one way. There's only one way. Someone's got to give it to me. Now follow what he's saying. Okay, follow this. The poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means... I I, I don't have it. I don't have a righteousness of my own. I can't achieve it. I can't earn it. So if somehow I get it, it didn't come from me. It came from someone else. Someone else has to give it to me. And there's only one person who can. Only one. And he's the one who's speaking this Sermon on the Mount. He is the one, the whole book of Matthew, in fact, the whole Bible, because he says he came to fulfill all Scripture, he's the one that it's all about. It's about him. And you go back to chapter 1, verse 21 of Matthew, and you read a story of a man named Joseph and his fiancée, Mary, and it's discovered that Mary is expecting a baby, and Joseph knows he's not the father. 
and he's going to dump her. And an angel shows up and says, Joseph, don't do that. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because that which is conceived within her is of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Yeshua, Joshua, Yahweh, the covenant name of God, saves. You will call his name God saves because he will save his people from their sins. King Jesus, that's what Messiah means. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the fulfiller of all Scripture, came to save us from our lack of righteousness. He will give you the righteousness you need, not as an achievement, not as a, something you deserve, something you earn by being religious, by keeping the rules, by attending worship services or praying or fasting or taking communion or anything else you do. He will give you the righteous you need solely as a gift that he achieved for you. You don't achieve it. You receive it. The only way you get into God's kingdom is by the grace of God. And that's exactly what the righteousness that Jesus gives us is. It's the grace of God. It is an unmerited gift. Paid in full by Jesus himself on the cross. I remember a a guy many years ago telling a story just to illustrate, explain what we're talking about here. He talked about taking his two young sons to the fair. And, uh, you know, they wanted to ride the rides and all that stuff. They were old enough to do that, but they weren't really old enough for him to really trust them. uh, Here, take all these tickets because, you know, who knows what would happen. They'd lose them or... Whatever. So he said, boys, every time you need a ticket, just come up to me and I'll give you a ticket. So throughout, you know, the next couple hours, he was, I think, sitting there sipping a lemonade or something. And his sons would come up to him and, and, you know, they'd put their hands out. And so give this one a ticket, give this one a ticket. Well, one time uh, the hands showed up and he looked and there were three hands. So he put one, he put it in and he went, wait. And he looked and here's this kid, he doesn't know. And he's like, he didn't say anything out loud. He's like, wait, wait you, you're, not, you, you're not in. You're not part of this group. And then one of his sons said, oh, Dad, it's okay. He's my friend. I told him you'd give him a ticket. And the dad said, well, all right then. Gave him a ticket. Now, look what's happening. That boy is not getting a ticket based on any merit or achievement of his own. He is getting that ticket for one reason only. He's connected to the Son. And he gets the ticket in the name of the Son. And that's exactly the situation we're in. We cannot be in the kingdom of heaven by any merit of our own. 
I don't care how many worship services you attend, how many prayers you pray, how often you take communion, or when you were baptized, you get into the kingdom one way and one way only, and that is by being connected to Jesus Christ. And on the basis of his righteousness, God looks at you and says, righteous. His righteousness, not yours, not mine. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 3. He's just been talking about his own righteousness, his own religious achievements, all of the things that he had personally accomplished as a very religious, devout Pharisee. And he says this in verse 8, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. All my achievements are rubbish compared to knowing Christ. That I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, now look at this, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. In other words, from keeping the rules, my own achievements. Not having a righteousness of my own, but that, a righteousness, in other words, which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God doesn't come from me, it comes from God. It's a gift on the basis of faith. Not a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. His righteousness in me not mine. That's what you need. That's what you need. And it's not enough just to know this in our heads. We have to rely on Christ's righteousness with our lives. That's what faith means. Reliance. You rely on it. So you've got to stop trusting in how good you can be. And you've got to receive His gift of righteousness to get into God's kingdom. And you have to rely on his righteousness every day you live as a member of his kingdom. See, his righteousness not only qualifies us to get into the kingdom, it begins to change us from the inside out. His righteousness. He begins to transform us by the heart-changing work of his Holy Spirit as we rely on Him, as we rely on what He's told us, His promises, as we rely on His standards and say, I can't do this in my own strength, but I will rely on You, Lord. His heart-transforming work of His Spirit, His righteousness in us begins to change us. And Jesus enables us to meet God's standard as we rely on His righteousness. We rely on him. So the question is, how good do you have to be? You've got to be as good as Jesus. And you can't be as good as Jesus on you, on your own. You need Christ in you. You need to rely on his righteousness. And if you aren't, you can. And you start today. You could say, Lord, I know I'm, I'm not righteous enough. I can't meet the standard. 
but you say you've met it for me. And so I'm just going to say, Lord, I need your righteousness. I want to rely on your righteousness. Starting now, I'm going to stop relying on my efforts to be good enough, and I'm going to rely on you and help me each day to rely on your righteousness in me. You do that, you start today. So I want to give you an opportunity if you haven't. Just bow your head with me. And if today you would like to begin relying on his righteousness and you realize you don't meet the standard, you realize you can't achieve the standard, you just pray something like this. Father in heaven, I know I'm not good enough to get into your kingdom. I know I don't have the righteousness I need. But you've said you'll give me the righteousness I need because of Jesus. And so right now, I want to receive his gift of righteousness. I want to receive Christ into my life. And I want you, please, to help me to begin trusting and relying on his righteousness alone. Begin your work in me, Lord. Thank you. And if you're here today and you've gotten confused and you've fallen into the trap that we so easily fall into of living out a performance-based life instead of a Christ-reliance, a life of Christ-reliance, just ask the Lord to help you Have confidence in his righteousness and ask him to transform you every day. Lord, you are so much more awesome than we can even grasp and we get get distracted, we get confused, we start making it all about us and we feel bad that we're not good enough or we feel arrogant because we think we are good enough and both of those are delusions. Lord Jesus, only you can make us good enough. Be glorified, be honored as we rely on you. We pray in your holy name. Amen.